You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAfighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you then. Back again, Landed Upside Podcast, SB Nation, Vox Media Podcast Network. Do I have all the things I'm supposed to say right. in there? Yeah, you got that. That's that's what I got. Okay. <laughs> the NBA playoffs are starting soon. I'm Mike. That's Ben. Uh, we have a special guest on, uh, so one sometime contributor to SB Nation, also to the, let me see if I get all these websites right, <laughs> The Athletic, <laughs> Fansided, uh, okay, I'm a little tapped out now. Is that it? Or there's there's more, right? No that works. Okay. That's, those are the three main ones. Okay. Finish the introduction. Who, who are we talking about? This is Sirat Soe, uh, Toronto-based writer. Sirat, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Good. You guys probably know Sirat from her work uh, at SP Nation, the tip-off, but also because she just published a big feature that I don't know if we want to go too far behind the editorial curtain, but this story took a lot of twists and turns based on current events that happened over the course of the year. Uh, this story on Dwayne Wade's return to Miami and how that happened. Uh, that was not originally a Dwayne Wade return to Miami story. It sort of became that, right? Right. It started off as a what Dwayne Wade is doing and can be for the Cleveland Cavalier story. <laughs> That's that. that's what happens in the biz. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. The, the story kind of came to us in a really cool way because, obviously, that's such a cool thing that he came back to Miami. And you spent a lot of time talking to him. Really, he was very honest about, you know, how he looked around and was like, you know what? I kind of want to go back home. Uh, his teammates were very honest about that. Eric Spolster was very honest. Um, what was the, the one thing that struck you when you talked to Wade, like – with his disposition and where he was at, like mentally when you were, you had multiple conversations with him, but especially after the, the one where he had finally been traded, what did the state of mind feel like? Oh, when he had been traded, I think the thing that I found uh, that really stuck out was just how happy he was. And it really differed from the guy that I talked to in Cleveland, not that he wasn't happy, but that he was kind of, he was a little bit more introspective and willing to elaborate on certain decisions and, why he goes about certain things. But once he got back to Miami, his answers were all very simple. And there's one, like, you know, part of that's in the piece of just, hey, of, you know, try to, I tried to ask him what his, uh, what his thought process was. And he was kind of just like, come on, like it's home. It's Miami. He didn't say it's home, but like, he was just like, this was a very easy decision. I didn't really have to make any calculations. And then I asked him if it hadn't been Miami, if that sort of stuff would have been in play, the playing time considerations, championship considerations. And he said, yeah, probably that's, it, it's likely that it would be, but I wasn't in that position, but just with Miami, it's, it's different. It, and, uh, you know, he always, he always figured that he'd eventually go back home, not the way that he ended up going back home, but you know, just, uh, I guess, Really, a couple months earlier than than what he probably envisioned. Did uh did his family move to Chicago or or to Cleveland or has he always sort of just been home basing out of Miami? Like so, in essence, Dwayne Wade, the player, may have left, but the person never did. Yeah, I think his his kids were still going to school in Miami. Um, 
I'm not sure how much Gabby was going back and forth and I didn't get to talk to them, but yeah, like his, uh, I, I know that his, his son was like Zaire was definitely in Miami because Wade prior to being traded actually, ironically, like just a couple of days before flew down to Miami to surprise him just for, for like two days or a day or whatever. So, you know, it was, and that kind of tells you like, Hey, this was probably already, already on his mind. Um, just the fact that, you know, his kids are there and it was his son's birthday and he was there and it probably was a good familial moment that maybe impacted his decision, maybe not, but, you know, just having something as nostalgic happen as soon to a decision like that probably does affect it. So what's interesting about the Wade narrative that you framed really well in the story is that you're basically talking, and we talked about this so much during the edit process, like there are kind of three Wades that have come together. There's the, I really want to go home and I, I am Miami Wade. There's the unselfish sort of sees the whole board and is willing to admit like where his place in the board is, Dwayne Wade. And then there's, I want to win a championship, Dwayne Wade. Mm-hmm. And all three of those those elements are part of the story. You talk to anyone, you, know, you talk to Tom Crean, you talk to anyone that is close to him, there's an element of all those different things swirling through in the decisions he made. What I'm, I think your story does really well, and I'd love, I think our listeners would love to know too, is like, how do we get to the point where we went from Dwayne Wade wants to do anything he can to win a championship to Dwayne Wade's kind of just comfortable that he's going back home? Well, I think that kind of gets back down to the to the honesty thing, right? Like he's like 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 you said, he saw the pieces on the board and he saw what his situation in Cleveland would look like. And to him, I think it was just you know, it's it he didn't really seem to have much of a role left in Cleveland. So, you know, if you can't really impact winning or contribute to winning in a in a meaningful way as a guy like Wade, I think it's becomes a much easier call to to decide to to go get away from that part of your career and just go back home. Yeah, I definitely found the mentality aspects of of the piece like really interesting because I mean like I'm I've I'm not a, a Miami Heat fan. I've been someone who was rooting for them in the finals for a number of years when when my Sixers were a downtrodden organization and you know I I've definitely have a, a large level and it's impossible not to have respect for the way that Wade's always played, both being like the big guard who I think you mentioned being one of the best all time at blocking shots and, and really mm. being someone who's led from the post as a guard um, in a lot of ways, which is yeah. one of the things I always liked about his game so much. But this mentality of uh, I think you had a great quote in there where he says something like, if, if you want to be an individual, like go play tennis or something like that. And that type of, you know. Um, uh, transparency and, and openness is not something you see from superstars almost ever in their careers, let alone, you know, at the tail end, you don't always get this introspective vibe until the, you know, years after they've retired and they're writing their book, um, let alone as they're still a part of a playoff, you know, contender and, and a team who's going to be playing in, you know, this upcoming weekend in the next few weeks uh, at, the, at a minimum. Um, and so I guess if one of the questions I sort of had after reading this was, how do the rest of the players feel about having Dwayne Wade back? Like, what is, what is the, you know, the emotion of having this guy who was the cornerstone of the franchise, you know, the, the MVP of their finals run before the LeBron James era? Uh, was it 2006? Yes. Six? Yep. Yeah, right? that's right. So, you know, like, when, how, how confident great... were you at that answer? That was like a very shot. No, you're like 2006. <laughs> yeah, that was a very shot in the dark. Well, the, the problem is when I do a podcast with Mike, 
Encyclopedia Prada if I'm <laughs> off by a year. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, Mike I'm does. A dick, is, I'm sorry. Mike also edits the podcast, so what'll happen is Mike will have a little caveat when you get to that point and be like, "And here's a part where Ben gets a date wrong." Yeah, it's, like, it's like a little in. musical interlude. <laughs> That's yeah, right. No. <laughs> That's right. But uh, so I mean, the point is like this guy was uh, at an all-world level, and you never and you never really get that introspective look at the the ongoing career, like the career that is is in mm-hmm. the twilight. Um, so I guess. For question one, you know, how unique was it to interview and to do a piece on someone who is an open book in that regard? Um, and then the second question is, uh, I know you talked to a number of the other player, or I'm sorry, coaches who have been a part of this, Tom Crean and Spo, and um, there's even some references to the relationship mending with Pat Riley. But mm-hmm. what, what were the other players, the guys who are, you know, the Richardsons, uh, the Johnsons of the world who were much different even two years ago when Dwayne Wade left? And, and how are they receiving him back into the, uh, to the organization? Well, to answer your first question, you know, I think talking to somebody who was open was the reason the piece was able to happen because of the way that we did it. It was just, you know, it was a practice, shoot around and sit down for different 10, 15 minute increments. And that without a guy that's really willing to open up right away, I think that's very, very hard to to pull off. So I think, you know, that's just yourself a little more credit. You can give yourself a little more credit. You you ask some good questions to probe him. Sure, sure. Sometimes you can ask you can ask a superstar like Dwayne Wade some good questions, and yeah, no, you know, know you can you can at times just just get like absolutely nothing from it. Um, so you know, I was that was obviously helpful. And uh, to to the point of the teammates, though, at the at the time, like they were, I think it was their second game back with uh, with Dwayne Wade. And they were they were honestly thrilled. That's what it seemed like. They were, you know, Richardson was a guy who was really happy to have him back because they like Wade kind of mentored him when he was a rookie, and you know he was just you know just kind of taking it at him. And they were like Drogic was talking about how Wade just has this aura and this calmness that kind of comes over comes over you when when he enters a game and also just when he when he enters a room and you know and he he was also saying like you know he wants. Like he also knows what Dwayne Wade is capable of. Like he played with him before, prior to, to when he left, and not in those championship years. But he kind of wants to make sure that you know the rest of the team really remembers who uh, who who he is and, and what he's he's capable of doing and what he's meant to the franchise. And you know, it's 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 a franchise full of people with the same mentality, and it's a mentality that Wade has has fostered so it's kind of natural that they would be able to mesh Whiteside when when they came back like you know he was excited for these lobs that Wade used to always throw him Wade the first possession he gets back into the game against Milwaukee he he throws one of those lobs to him and he and sign actually misses and gets a put back because that's just I don't know it's not something that he was uh he was quite used to so he's always got to mess something up a little bit that's true it's always got to be a little messy (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I thought was, I mean, when you, I think you mentioned that Wade sort of has kind of taken on the ethos of Miami. What's what's also really striking reading your pieces, like it almost feels like Wade is Miami. Wade is yeah. the Heat. I think he even said, like, I in his signature line, you know, I'm not for everyone, is sort of it's like saying when Spo says Miami is not for everyone, he's sort of saying in a way. Dwayne Wade is not for everyone. And then there's that sort of weird moment where you, you bring in Tyler Johnson and it's like, it doesn't feel like Wade is left because all Spo wants to talk about is how great Dwayne Wade is, right. uh, even when he's not there. And then he's back. And like, there's a, 
it's like a more uh, benign deification of the, than what Kobe and the Lakers had, but it sort yeah. of comes from I think a similar place, which I think is interesting now that he's back. I think it's yeah, I think it's very similar. I'd say like the the place where it's a little bit different is well, first of all, like there's no there's no hoopla on tour the way that there there was with Kobe or you know twenty four million dollar contract or anything like that. But there is definitely deification of the mentality. And that's kind of what we saw a lot with the Lakers, just like the Mamba mentality stuff. But I don't know if that was something that really was a thing that he bred into into the franchise. And that might be impossible with a team like the Lakers that has been around for so long and has such an incredible legacy. Whereas Miami, by 2003, I think they, you know, they were they were one of the expansion teams. They hadn't been around for that long, and obviously Riley had been had been there for a little while and they had Alonzo, but it wasn't like this very established legacy or an ethos of what we are. And the fact that Wade's been there for, for 13 years and now the months or extra year or whatever he decides to do. Well, definitely, definitely. He's going to end up leaving a huge imprint on, on the franchise. Yeah, It seems like, and I think, I mean, this is going to be my segue here is that the, the, the the brand that Dwayne Wade and Spo and Riley preach and and honestly live by. I mean, that's really what the ethos of the team is that you're talking about. Um, it would it would seem that that goes directly in the face of of current superstar on the team. I'm not going to say superstar, current star player. <laughs> I don't know what you would call. I'm not sure. <laughs> current what, max player. Max max yeah. player. <laughs> Whiteside goes by a lot of names, but I'm not sure exactly what we would we'd label him as. In the, super in, role player. Super role uh, player. He would love that. We should call him think, that. Yeah, super role player. Um, so, he's a star. I think you so, would hate that. Obviously, you finish this. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd <laughs> not, not fourth quarter player. Um, so if you, uh, if you finish this piece, you have all these great quotes in here about really like this team mentality we're talking about and, and, and everything that, that Dwayne Wade exudes. And then that comes directly in the face of, of some comments um, made by Whiteside, right? About, Mike, you could paraphrase it better than I can, but you know, he was, like, he why was basically like whining about why he wasn't playing. Right. Right. I so, mean, he was saying, you know, there are a lot of really good centers. Like, why don't I get any respect right. from the coach? That's right. And something so, like that. I don't remember exactly. With that in mind, you know, how would you reconcile sort of what you learned from this process and working on this piece with how the organization likely is handling the white side situation? Well, I can't speak directly to how they're handling it. Like you said, like the, the piece came out like the day after. So all the reporting <laughs> I had done was that was that was done. But I mean, and what Whiteside said was basically that you know, you shouldn't, like, why are they, why are they playing to small ball mismatch, small ball again, like to match up with other teams when they should be using me as a mismatch. And that's, that just seems like a smarter way to go. And it's really not. Because I mean, no, the heats, you know, uh, Miami small ball lineups are very good. Right. Also, by the and way, if they want to go big, they should play Bam Adebayo instead. Yeah. Right. Who's <laughs> well, also, by the way, a guy that you can play small and big with, which yes. is <laughs> what Spo has been doing a lot, a lot more lately because he is he do, he does have the speed, and he's also a guy that you should be thinking about developing to. And you know, I can. Like, has Whiteside ever really been a guy that fits that mentality? He kind of came in, was very talented, and then, you know, there was a while there we didn't really ever know if he was a good defender. Was it, like, DeAndre Jordan's early years where he just wants to block everything? Or, you know, is there something there? And I think 
I think to some extent that was overstated. I think his attitude issues kind of clouded the fact that he could contribute a lot. But at this juncture, I think he just needs to realize that he's a bit player among a team of bit players. And there doesn't really seem to be anybody else on the team that has a really big issue with when they're not the guys that are uh, are finishing games. And, you know, he's kind of the he's kind of the outlier there. And, you know, it's just something that they're going to have to deal with. I don't really know how they'll do it. And, you know, it's 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 not easy, but it's also at the same time, like it can't really I can't imagine it being a huge, huge concern for them. And the, the fact is that he's still in the rotation. And yesterday he he played pretty Pretty uh, pretty good minutes despite having four fouls and they kept him in there. So it's just uh, it's see to I'll see to Spo and his ability to make the right decision, especially come playoff time. And that's just something that I think Hassan's gonna have to learn to live with because let's say like how much leverage does he have in this situation right now? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And the like, other part is <laughs> it's, it's sample size related too. It's like uh, hey buddy, uh, we've played eighty. 80 games now so uh, right. we have an idea of the rotations he does Spo does try to throw him a bone yeah it's not like he has completely shut him out shut him out and and Whiteside's in the doghouse and I'm sure that if Whiteside could be a good zig while everybody else zags option of all the people in the world to realize it would be Eric Spolstra and like you know every four or five games a sign will get some get some run at a at a crucial moment. Sometimes he'll do well. More often than not, the small ball lineup would have been a better option. This is just not a team that has a high margin for error, at least for most of the season. I think maybe now, it dep- I guess depending on where they want to land, I'm sure they want the seventh seed. They could kind of try to try to experiment a little bit more. But I mean, they've we've seen every iteration of every lineup that Miami could potentially play, and they're better without Whiteside. And that's just that's yeah. just the like wh- you can't really get away from that. Yeah, that's at, what what it comes down to. At the end of the day, the best player on the team is Josh Richardson. Yeah, arguably, you know, or Dragic. I mean, that's but yeah, see this this idea. What's that? I think it's Dragic. Dragic has sort of been a little off. Yeah. Whatever we could, but, but see the fact that this is an argument can, is yeah. is sort of the point I, I think is yes, yes. worth considering. So like, I I think that going back to weight, like the the reason I think this is also really interesting in context is that in a way it's like. Miami sort of admitting to themselves that they don't really have much more than a kind of interesting team that isn't going anywhere. Like, one of the things that we sort of ask and pose, and I think the big question that we don't really know the answer to yet with Wade is like, is this it? Is this just a swan song? Is he done after the year? Or is he like a legit player that can help them? And they're... I think if the answer is if he's a legit player that can help him, like I'm not sure he is at this point of his career in the way that certainly in the way where Spoltz talking about like I'd always give the ball to Dwayne Wade with the game on yeah. the line like he did there. Like he's definitely you not think that bad. smoke. Well, you he's think... a coach, but he's the one. I mean, but you're saying you think that's just like blowing smoke up. Well, I don't know. Is it? I mean, that's sort of the the thing. Well, and let's, then let's let's pose that. Like let's say it's, well, it's game I seven. Kind of asked and... him that question. I yeah. said, hey, like you know, you're. You're a very tactical guy, and uh, well, the, la- the last time I actually interacted with Spo was when they were when they were in Toronto. When they it was when they ran like the pretty much the exact same set to to open up a guy 
and it ended up being two two different guys, and it was two games in a row. The first was against the Jazz, where I think they got it was Wayne Richardson in the layup. Oh right, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then they yes. got Wayne Ellington a, a three pointer with the same set, just uh, just extended out a little bit. They went to like the third option on it, and you know, I was I was saying like this is like the last time we talked. I tried to figure out who the first option on the intricate set was like that was like, and now you're saying. Dwayne Wade with the ball in his hands and he kind of just held too. He was like, yeah. He also did say that, you know, at the same time he's able to use Wade as a decoy because that's also what everybody expects to happen. So there is, it's not like, uh, things are completely going in a direction where like Wade's Wade's turned into, into the Kobe of the team or anything like that. Like that Philly game winner, for example, was after, possession which they didn't call a timeout so it wasn't like Spo was like here Dwayne this is this is your ball and it was just kind of like what happened so I think there's there's a there's only a little bit of a balance and Miami's also a team that's been really wayward in crunch time all season so I successful think successful though right they so you know at the time that we wrote that so I wrote an article for the tip off um about how Miami's found crunch time success despite having not having a go-to guy Prior to trading for Wade, they had lost five straight games, and they were all, like, not all of them, but there were some close games in there that they really fell apart down the stretch. And they weren't able to do the stuff that they did earlier. So they were, it's, it was definitely more up and down than, than the time that we that we touched base with them. I think that was in January. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What, it, one of the best parts about that Dwayne Wade game winner that you wrote about against the Sixers was that, there was an almost identical situation maybe two weeks prior, three weeks prior, where he missed right. the game winner against the Sixers. Mm-hmm. But it was still the same basic principle, like put Wade in a little isolation. I think it was with Simmons on him even and, and see if he can still make the game winner. And I, I definitely found like the symmetry of the make in that game to be kind of like, well, this is this is the plan. Like This is what we mm-hmm. will fall on the sword with. Well, I think the implication, too, I think of that, that moment is like, is this the last yeah. magical moment of Dwayne Wade's career in – uh, what's in it? What do they? Is it Center or, or American Airlines Arena? arena? Whatever. Arena. It's Arena. I always center mix is that. Dallas. I always mix yeah. those two up. But yeah, I mean that might be the last sort of. I mean this image of him jumping on the scores table and screaming, "This is yeah. my house," and that's, that's why the image I, we have in our eye, in like in our heads, seared in of Dwayne Wade. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go with the obvious pun of seared in from the did. story. You just, you just yeah, did. I just did. Okay, yeah. my bad. Um, <laughs> Thank you for not laughing. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's so it's like Miami is almost in this sort of superstar vacuum now with, I mean, with the team. And that's why the white side stuff is sort of a, a weird little tie-in. And then here comes, you know, Dwayne Wade in his swan song, like sort of filling that void. And it's it's a weird, I think it's like on track with Miami has done the last, since LeBron left. It's like sort of this weird emission of we're just kind of a nice franchise that wants to have a certain brand we're not really competing for titles and stars and whatever in the same way like we're just happy kind of being the miami that isn't what has a history the miami that still has wade can sell miami vice jerseys and mm-hmm. profit off them and then just kind of bring wade back for these magical moments but like it's not a team that's really going anywhere right you know so i, I that's why i'm I don't sort think of that's how they felt the start of the season though you don't think so that's a, so no what do you think got was, them there i was in miami at the start of the season working on a on a Dion waiters profile and they kind of 
like they doubled down on all their guys and they kind of expected everybody to make a jump. And obviously they started the, they, they ended the last season 30 and 11. So, and barely missed the playoffs. And they kind of expected themselves to be the team that they were in the second half of the season. I think they expected more health than they've gotten, um, which is, I don't know. It's something that I, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, but I think maybe we might need to start looking at, uh, at the Miami Heat program, with all the conditioning, all these guys you're are saying, keep yeah. Going. yeah, with all the all these guys are going to keep uh, keep going down. Uh, that's a discussion for a different yeah. day and after some digging in, maybe. But mm. you know, I think they they definitely expect it to be better than they are right now. And I still think that if they're healthy, I think they believe that they can make they can make noise in the playoffs. And you know, I'm assuming that you know they're probably thrilled to to have the seventh seed and. Right now, and it looks like they're probably going to keep it, and we'll see what happens. It's, uh, I have no idea what the tiebreakers are. They're no, all no way too confusing. If Basically, if, if Boston beats Washington, Miami's going to be locked in, and Washington's going to be locked in. So, so okay. anyway, so, okay. So, okay. That's so the, Celtics you know, that's, We're just going to date yeah. this podcast by, like, <laughs> you can only listen to it today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'll tell you but, what, though. Like, I, I, well, I wanted to get into the playoff stuff because I do think that like, there's a whole different dynamic when you're Dwayne Wade's age and all of a sudden you know that it's a one game at a time with a day or two in between. You can get more from that. So is there an expectation that there will be more juice squeezed from the Dwayne Wade, you know, oh God, I, I'm now like kind of envisioning I citrus. So. I think that's, Miami. I think that's yeah. what they're hoping for. And that's actually kind of what happened in the in their last season prior to to Wade leaving because if you looked at those numbers from that season Wade's on and off numbers especially compared to Drogic and you know if you compare the usage rate rate and stuff it seemed like Goron should be should be handling the ball more and Wade had a I think he had a negative net rating for the season that year he did it was a whole big talking point I remember it's like oh Wade is cramping Dragic it was like sort of a little mini thing in Miami right and then we got to the playoffs and suddenly Goran couldn't do anything and that's you know that's a that was I remember that was a series I watched very closely and it was very much Dwayne Wade bailing out a lot of a lot of bad offensive plays and it was a guy who didn't hit a three since December and then come April an elimination game in the first round he hits two and saves them like there's just there are things that he's able that's kind of like that's that's why I wanted to write the story because it, he kind of has been able to contradict everything that we should believe given how much knowledge we have now and I'm very, very interested to see if that's something that will happen again. Or if the Philly moment was like it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause I watch those games and you're an opposing fan and you're like, if Dwayne Wade hits a three or something like that or a couple long contested twos in the first half, you're like, nice, that's great. He's going to take those later in the game and those are not And then you're shots. like, god damn it, don't take that later in the and game. Then, yeah, I mean, then, but then <laughs> of course he obviously hit the, the game right. in that one particular instance. But yeah, I mean, I look uh, – one thing that has stuck with me this whole season, and this is something, Mike, that you told me, uh, I think it was after one of the contentious Sixers Heat games this year, and they, they all are because <laughs> the Sixers are young and the Heat are what you described as a try-hard team. They, they so, can still meet, by the way. There absolutely. is a chance, and right? I, I've told you this the other day. I'd well, pull, if, if uh, the Heat beat Boston, yeah. which is definitely in play. Uh, aren't the Heat playing Toronto? 
they're gonna play in the, like you mean in the regular season? Yeah. No, I mean there's still a chance for that to be a three six series, is yeah, what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yes, if Philly oh, wins out and and t- the Miami beats Toronto, is that the three six? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. yeah. So the, the the point is like that. There's always been like some animosity there, and part of it's because the Sixers are a young team that that works real hard, and the Heat are a team who like. They genuinely don't leave, you know, anything to be desired effort-wise. They really do work their balls off. And, like, I, I mean this when I say, like, I didn't want to play the Heat as a Sixers fan in the first round because I, I fear Spolstra. I think he's an incredible, like, chess piece that other teams don't have necessarily in, in, the, in the coaching position. And then also just that, like, yeah, in an isolated last three minutes, like, I still don't want to face Dwayne Wade. I know that sounds crazy to some That's other Sixers fans on, right? or, or national sports fans who are like, this guy's years removed from that. But I watched it firsthand this year, and there's still always going to be that just like to, to the effect of, of the piece you wrote, like that Dwayne Wade appeal in Miami, in the clutch. That's still a thing. Um, in, until the day he retires, that's a thing. Um, in more so than when Kobe was working out the back end of a, you know, a ludicrous contract. Right. That's the interesting thing about it, right? Like that's, it feels so different from any other superstar in his twilight. Not just because of his ability to, to see things for what they are and his ability to defer, but you know, maybe that feeds into it. Maybe he has more energy at the end of a game and he can kind of summon certain things, but just he kind of makes it happen in ways that will leave you kind of a little bit gobsmacked and questioning what reality is. <laughs> yeah, he's yelling at what, what was it? Was it the purple shirt dude in Charlotte that he yelled <laughs> yeah, at yeah, after? Yeah. Oh, God. But, he was like a doctor or something. Yeah, he was like, yeah. Um, but I mean, no, that, I, and to go back to the larger point, like his ability to see the board, like he, in a way, this worked out really well for him. Uh, he, gets to be he doesn't have to live with like oh i left home and an anima and with animosity like he he can no longer be blamed for like the whole contract negotiations that happened he got to chase his title he got to play at home and now he gets to go back and like really anything he does is gravy at the for the rest of the season like any game winner he has any performance he has like nobody's gonna remember if they get swept 4-0 and he stinks you know and it sort of works out nicely and do you think this is it though do you think he's done after this year Oh, I don't know. I think that's totally... I don't think he knows. And I think it totally depends on how he plays in the playoffs. Yeah, that's probably true. Interesting. I think all this stuff that we're wondering, I think that's something that he's wondering. I think it's something that Spoh's wondering. It's just... It's a really, really wait-and-see type of situation. All right, we we should talk a little bit, just because we we have three people here who are, uh, I think both all, all of our actual rooting teams of interest are going to be in the playoffs. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Teams you follow at least. Teams you follow, let's right. say. Yeah. Sure. And let's I believe, be. I mean, I don't, I, 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 is this a Raptors Wizards? Could this be a thing right God, now? Like, please a, put my team out of their misery, Toronto. <laughs> so please I'm put them out. Go first, put me out of my misery. Mike, do you think that the Wizards would have the same team that you're asking to be put out of the misery could definitely flip a switch? They've done this. They totally could. That's why I want them to be put to put me out of my misery. Like <laughs> this is like going to be the dead cat bounce for the fifth year in a row. <laughs> It's an like, interesting matchup, though. Do you know how though? terrified yeah. everybody in Toronto is of <laughs> facing sure. the Wizards and losing game one at home? Oh, yeah. It'll be the fifth straight year. I've already got year. my column ready. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just, I'm waiting to hit set. Do you think they'll be in the noon, the 1 p.m. Oh, game or whatever? The, the noon. Oh, I think, I think that's got to be Boston-Miami now, if that's what happens. That would be, like, ruining a tradition. It'd be, again, four straight years they've lost the first game of the playoffs at home, right? 
Right. Four straight years. Yeah. To lesser yeah. teams. I mean, the Nets. Yeah, they're always the higher a, seed. They've never won a game one at home, I don't think. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and always in that afternoon slot. Always the first yeah. game. Well, that's uh, where they get stuck. I don't think they will this year just because uh, Boston and Miami. If, if, like, I'm, I'm assuming that will happen just for just for conversation's sake because I can't do this anymore. <laughs> um, the yeah, like I, th- I think the fact that Boston lost Kyrie kind of gives the NBA the excuse of, like, you know, we don't have to put Toronto in that Absolutely. in that situation. Anymore. You would hope Al Horford. I actually think his middle name is NBA TV. Yeah, but... yeah, he's actually the most NBA TV player of all time, and he can kind of maybe you can throw it back to his days with the Ex- with the Hawks. Exactly, <laughs> I was gonna say he, he's already been like the lead for the telecast. They could just go back and put a, a Celtics jersey on the old album. Yeah, but but see, here's the problem: is that no, they don't make their decisions based on the player. They make their decisions based on the fact that Al Horford wears Celtic green instead of Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And orange green, and red. Green has a lot of fans that would love to watch on non NBA TV. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think that's. The, that's the thing really here so, and their advertising revenue like in fairness to to the commercial side of this they just don't get anything from canadian viewership mm. yeah it's true it's not i mean they're all in the square that's the problem yeah <laughs> they're all watching on one tv instead of on individual tvs <laughs> all in the square um make <laughs> toronto's like a little villa like like the country of iceland watching that. <laughs> it's just gonna make that comparison <laughs> like iceland soccer yeah no, the difference, was it true the that 99% of Iceland watched the yeah, Euro when I was in Iceland um, last year, I stood in the middle of the square. You can, it's tiny. I've been, I've been there too. Yeah, yeah. and like it, it's a tiny I, area. You didn't come here to listen to Iceland yeah, yeah. soccer so, takes. Uh, I'm just but anyhow, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's similar though. But I was going to say like, and this is a question I always have for people who f- who cover teams in areas where their sport might not be the biggest sport. So, does it matter in Toronto? Like for the Raptors fandom and overall passion that the Maple Leafs are also in the playoffs and have a obviously a strong team again this year. Does it? Does that? Oh, take... it definitely will. Yeah, it definitely will. It's just this is it's it's a hockey country. It's still a hockey city despite all of the growth and you know you definitely see more Raptors gear. And actually, the last few games this season, I saw more people just outside waiting, trying to get in early and and whatnot. Like the sights and sounds of of Raptor fandom are definitely are definitely present in Toronto, but I mean, the Maple Leafs are, are just so much more important to Toronto and they always will be. And it's Bruins it goes too. for like pretty much any hockey team. And by the way, they have Austin Matthews who, you know, can give, give a franchise a lot more hope he's good, than right? pretty much anybody on the, on but the Raptors. You just, yeah, he's so, very good. So you just and said he's very young. I, I follow hockey real closely as well. I follow mm-hmm. all sports real close. Just so happened to do this NBA thing with Mike. You said Austin Matthews' name, and Mike's Mike's eyebrows went up like that's a hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very NH, It's a very hockey player name. He's he's the uh, future of Team it's USA Austin hockey. With an O too. It is, and the O oh. is not where. The awe sound. <laughs> oh, Austin. He's uh, I think well, he's from like, like Arizona or something, right? He's like, a, oh, I think I read about this guy once. Didn't we write a story on him like probably. back in the day? Still, oh, okay, like, twenty years old or something like that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. No, I, I just always fascinated because, like, look, the, the Philadelphia is a place where the Flyers have been in the playoffs more or less every season for the last like twenty five years, with the exception of like three or four years total. And the Sixers obviously haven't been there for a long time. And the city right now is not even sure what to do because mm-hmm. it's it's a hockey town this time of year. Uh and 
the reality is it's a complete basketball city right now. The Sixers wave has completely right. taken over the city. And so being able to watch that dichotomy play out is something that I, you know, a lot of cities go through and I'm just trying to rethink mm-hmm. in my head right now. Uh, so that's why I wanted to bring that up. But um, I, right. is there like a collective energy though? It is a collective energy. No, but like oh, that's yeah. the thing. Like it, they, they, you can root for both teams, so there's like a multiplying yeah. factor, well, right? Yeah, and I mean they they play in the same arena, so they're never going to be playing at the at the same time. Yeah, so and, that that definitely helps too. And I mean at the end of the day, it's a huge city that has always had a huge sports fan base. The Leafs will definitely get a lot more hype, and you know you'll see them on TV more up here, which is going to be really ironic when when Raptors fans are, start complaining about American <laughs> coverage, and even and they can't even get TSN and Sportsnet to to cover them. But, um, I can't wait for that. <laughs> no, and, that's definitely funny. But at the same, at the end of the day, like both arenas are going to sell out, and both they're both going to have a great vibe, and you know yeah. the, the Raptors are not going to to feel the the effects of. Of uh, of hockey taking over on a very intimate basis, other sure. than fans complaining that they can't watch them on TV. Do the Leafs also have a tradition of losing Game One at home? I would not know. Okay, I can tell you that Mike, the Leafs haven't been in a a, a standard in the playoffs for a number of years. It's be their second year in a row, I believe. Aren't they like the Sixers of the of the NHL, where they sort of did the trust the process, tear down, rebuild thing? No, but no, no. Oh, uh, because they they were they were accidentally good. Yeah. Okay. Like they, they they kind of messed up. I'll give so you like a, the Raptors then, okay. There's not a direct parallel, but what the Leaves did was they brought in like the most successful coach slash GM you could combination you could bring in, and Matt, like Babcock used to be the guy who kind of mm. took over for Scotty Bowman in in uh, uh, Scotty Bowman. I've heard of him. He's a Hall of Fame coach. That, that name I've Anyhow, heard. <laughs> but Babcock's a guy who's like very well revered and, and flipped the script, and, mm. and he's just a great coach. There's a lot of tactical changes, and and hockey's not a sport like the NBA where the season starts off, and you've got a pretty good idea of the four or five teams who are going to be in that final four. Yeah, uh, that, the NHL. Is why a lot do they more play open. eighty-two games in hockey? The playoffs are just totally random anyway. It seems like a waste. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, that's there's a lot of validity to the randomness of hockey, and and ultimately, most sports other than <laughs> basketball. Well, but see that that actually uh, leads to a question I wanted to talk briefly about at the end of the show, which yeah. is the eighty-two game thing. Like, oh, yeah. is it just me, or just has this season felt like? This is the tipping point for we need to shorten the season. I think so. I think, and, and, and you know, with Ad, Adam Silver actually jet being open to, to the possibility, when you consider the amount of player injuries, I mean, it's something that we kind of addressed in the in the Houston piece. I think, you know, maybe, maybe the modern game can't afford all this player movement on both ends and 82 games at the same time. I, I am think so with you on this. This is like, I could not agree with Kyrie more. Irving paradox. His body yeah. Was stopped. I talking to you about that or was it maybe, someone else? Basically yeah. the idea that, so I think we were saying that this was the first year that Kyrie Irving tried hard on defense and moving without the ball. And Oh wow. He has a knee injury. A wear and tear knee injury. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but I mean, Kyrie gets this, just to contradict your point a little bit, I mean, Kyrie has knee problems. Mm. Right. Yeah. He had them when he didn't play defense too. <laughs> right. But it was then, back when he did have slightly more of a role uh, on ball um, back before LeBron came to Cleveland. No, sure. I mean he's yeah. had knee problems, but he yeah, uh, he also didn't miss uh, the entire postseason last year. That's true. 
But no, no I mean, I think True. the point is, like, you look around the league, and I think we'd all agree here, like, the NBA would be better if, if DeMarcus Cousins was playing with, for the Pelicans in these playoffs. It'd be better if Porzingis didn't miss the entirety of the year. And some of these are blown-out ligaments, like Achilles mm-hmm. and, and ACLs. Now, I can tell you, as someone who's blown out his Achilles, like, it is a wear-and-tear injury. Um, mm-hmm. You might have small signs that you disregard. You might ice something that is slightly agitated, not knowing that that is a, ma- a major ligament that's fraying. And obviously... Then you throw a week in where you have five games and seven nights, and, and that's it. That's the end yeah. of the And by the season. way, Cousins playing yep. more in the perimeter and yep. driving this year yep. than ever before. Bringing more rebounds up the court himself and yeah. running primary. I mean, yeah, you're right. I didn't I even mean, think about that, though. I think that's mm-hmm. very much a part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that the league is going to have to look into. And, and I think, thankfully, and I think we'd all agree here, like this is the one commissioner who will assess something objectively, look for the best, you know, I would say what's best for the players, which is not always what commissioners in most leagues do. Uh, usually they're thinking first and foremost about profitability and, and what the owner's best interests are. And so I think this is maybe the league that would make the change. Now the question mm-hmm. is, where do, what do we do with that revenue that will be uh, uh, cast aside, which, you know, which are those X amount of home games per team? And I don't right. think anyone's really put together the best answer for what, you know, a uh, 68-game season looks like or whatever. Right. Right. Like I think the, I think the sweet spot would be 66 because that would eliminate every back to back. I think, and you know, it's really interesting. I've been talking to, I've been trying to talk to players about this here and there, just to try to get a get a feel of of what they think. And I was I was talking to CJ Miles about about injuries, and he was kind of saying like, a the preseason is a bit of an issue. The lack of one, that, you mean. Right, right, and that they're kind of rusty, and then also having that week-long All-Star break, guys get rusty, and then they come back right into action in the middle of a season, and they're kind of in that place where when you get a week off, your body kind of starts to relax, but it hasn't really gotten to that state where it's actually starting to, to recover from anything. Like, you're kind of just still in that rust period. That is and interesting. when you consider the amount of the injuries that happen after the All Star break, it's kind of like, oh, okay, like that kind of. Because a lot of them did, right? I mean, Jimmy Butler's yeah. did. Cousins mm-hmm. was either right before or right after. I forget. Steph. Although Steph's, you know, that's Steph's, 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 no, Steph's was. Yeah. I mean, that was a yeah. that was a not a bit of a freak injury, yeah. but yeah. yeah, Steph, Kyrie, yeah, although it was a little. No, that's int- I hadn't thought about that, but. That also, by the way, speaks to like maybe the solution isn't like to just sit players for entire games all the time. Right, and the, the Raptors actually aren't doing that. Yeah, what are they so doing instead? Are they just are... they're just going to play guys low minutes, and they're going to like they're like that's that's kind of what they've been doing. They'll rest somebody here and there, but like you know they've they've clinched and they've they've clinched for a little while now. They're, nobody's getting three full days off. That's just not what they're doing. Uh, they'll play guys twenty minutes, whatever. They'll like you know if somebody. I mean. Fred Van Bleet sat out last night because he actually has a bit of a he has a bit of a back issue right now. Nothing crazy, but just something that you know. I mean, hopefully nothing crazy. Who knows? <laughs> it's a it's a back injury, so right. Um, <laughs> you don't but, have to talk to us about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I got a lumbar right. support on the chair. I'm sitting in right now. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. But I, I, mean, I would probably, if I could. I would have believed right you now. if you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's 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 definitely something that has been coming up more and more. And look, there's always going to be your fair amount of. Your fluke injuries. That's mm-hmm. guy goes for jump shot, lands on someone's foot and rolls his ankle. Assuming that Joel Zaza, Embiid's facial yeah, injury. Assuming Zaza's not purposely right, putting his foot under right. you. Um, uh, yes, Joel Embiid's facial injury is a the, the quintessential freak injury, and, and he'll be okay. <laughs> Ironic because it's him. But of yes. course, of course. <laughs> the, like, the guy who does, does not need right. bad luck gets hit, in the, gets hit with the shoulder of God, if you will. Right. Uh, Markov faults. Um, 
but anyhow, it was. It's like that's an, a, a reference to the hand of God. Which was, <laughs> I, I know what the yeah. reference was too. <laughs> We're almost in World Cup phase. We're hitting on all these sports that no one who listens to this podcast likes. So this is perfect. Okay, we got to start. Usually, a, usually a what we do podcast. when we want to lose uh, listeners is we get into. I think wrestling kind of transcends most. <laughs> mm, I don't know anything about wrestling. <laughs> it's, why? Why is everybody so excited about Raw all of a sudden? <laughs> I don't get it. Like, yeah, I don't get it either. But I was just, I was just saying that from like assuming based on what I've seen from everybody else's timelines and yeah. every time I, I log on Twitter and there's anything, anything remotely related to wrestling going on. I think I honestly think it's because it's like, uh, for example, not everyone follows politics, but like a lot of people will watch the State of the Union address because they just want to be able to say that they watched it. Mm. That's kind of to me what WrestleMania. is. I think like, you're right. I tuned into. I haven't it's watched like the wrestling. Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, WrestleMania, there are a lot of things about it that are like the Super Bowl. It is. Big and flashy. It goes on for like eight hours. The actual game itself is like an ancillary part of the event. Um, <laughs> I, I watched like maybe an hour of WrestleMania, and again, it was like the uh, yeah, whatever the quote is from Big Lebowski is like you're like a kid, who, a child who walks into a movie theater and wants to know what's going on. That's what happened to me. Like I, I put this on, I was like, who the fuck are these people? Right. I remember the Undertaker because he was a wrestler when I was a child and still watch this stuff. But like. I think the idea is that like sports writers think of it as almost like a night off to just be entertained and not take shit seriously. Right. Well, I think it's also the bandwagon effect of everybody else is tweeting about yes, it, so I better absolutely. tune in. That's I definitely think that's what hap- That's what I mean, happened it was with the, the Bachelor, Superdome, packed with people. That's a, yeah. that that right there is one of the ten meccas of sports in America. Um, Ooh, this is actually a good list. Super what are the meccas? Sure. Yeah. Ten meccas of sports. In the North, let's say North America because yeah, North America, sure. To conclude Canada. Sure. But I mean, like, there's no there's doubt like the Super Madison Square Garden. Yeah. There's. You, know, you, you want to do this? The Rose Not Bowl is one of them. The Rose Bowl. Um, you know, I, th- I honestly still think the Forum is a special place, even though they don't really play many uh, sporting okay. events there, but it's still a great Wrigley Field. Yes, Wrigley, Fenway, whatever. You know, you can go down the list of Okay, I don't know why we're Mecca's, doing this. But the Superdome so has dumb. importance Sorry. on other levels, too, which is, you know, it housed thousands of people during Katrina. It is, it mm-hmm. is, a, it is a beacon yeah. of, of New Orleans. And um, uh, anyhow, but so WrestleMania is definitely one of those things. That Bachelor is the other one. The Bachelor Twitter is totally, yeah. that is the other one that everyone suddenly has jumped on board. I don't know much recently. about that space, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but anyhow, we've we've like we've railroaded a, a really succinct podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, are you as excited as I am for the Angst Bowl on Wednesday? Minnesota, Denver, the loser. Oh yeah, missing the playoffs, being a total disaster for their season. Even I've though been calling there's... it high noon for the, for for a se- for like a week now. <laughs> I can't who do you think wins? What's your prediction? Both of you guys. I think Denver's playing better, but it's at Minnesota. So, And I have a hard mm-hmm. time believing that Jimmy Butler's going to not let them win. I think it's going to be one of those games where, like, Butler, suddenly his minutes limit doesn't matter. Taj Gibson <laughs> plays 45 minutes. Andrew Wiggins gets benched down the stretch. And Minnesota pulls it out by, like, two points, like mm-hmm. 87 to 85. <laughs> Like and kinda... I think the the other problem is that sorry to cut you off. No, I got <laughs> no, I got nothing. Oh, yeah. The other the other issue is that Denver has been working from behind for so long, and they've been kind of not to use a sports cliche, but they've been kind of willing themselves to to a couple victories here, and they've. I don't know. I just like. Can you how how much longer can you keep burning that candle? They are. They might be more exhausted than than Minnesota is at this point, since Minnesota's up until this point has kind of safely been in this seed. And I think it might just come down to the fact that 
you know, at the end of the day, maybe Denver just being on the road runs out of juice in the last six minutes of the game. And I think that's kind of what's going to happen. I, I, I want Denver to make it because I really just want all of the chaos to erupt in Minnesota. And I want <laughs> yeah, them to have too. to make so <laughs> many changes. And like, I want every single person in that locker room and coaching staff to have to look in the mirror and be like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I so stubborn? Um, <laughs> I agree. And but at the end, like I think, I think it's kind of just going to come down to one of those games where it's close until the last six minutes, and then you know by the end it's like kind of they've got a cushion. They win by like eight or nine. So I, I want to say that I'm I want to go on the record say I'm rooting for Denver uh, and have been. I kind of like in general. I think we've been pro Denver fun to on watch. this podcast. They're fun to watch. Um, yeah, and also like they'll add a little flair to the first round matchup against Houston. Like. I don't know. Like, I just want to see Jokic get into the playoffs, get that first like burn under um, uh, for him and that experience. But <laughs> watch him get switched onto James yeah. Harden over and I over again. Have to Harden's internalize that for Harden's an entire face. summer. <laughs> the whole, which is such a terrible matchup. I'll say that like a couple weeks ago, they came into Philly and in a very important game and played absolutely horrible. So I really hope they don't bring that level of of you know defensive lack of integrity. I think I they guess. would get swept by the Rockets. They, they probably yeah, they, they might so yeah it's not an ideal matchup for them but it's not like uh, I'm sitting. I mean Minnesota like, would win like one game yeah I think Minnesota like, might get swept too. <laughs> um, again, but, like, in this particular matchup, I will say there's something to be said for the team who's already been playing for all intents and purposes playoff basketball, elimination basketball, for the mentality that they're able to bring into that game. And you see this a lot in baseball. Um, where there's usually one wild card team who's been playing like four or five games above the wild card clip, and another one who squeaks in, and the momentum's actually on the side of the team who's been playing with desperation, um, and it almost always plays out like that. That's why a lot of times you see the play-in game team in the fi- in the uh, in March Madness win their first round because they've already had that level of heightened intensity, um, so true. they know how to cope with it better. And I, I think there's something to be said for that for Denver. They've been p- playing for their playoff lives for a week and a half now. Also, I watched the Memphis game the other night, or a little bit of it. Minnesota look that good no, like they no, looked no, real no. tight that was not that a was, good that was, <laughs> that was not good was tuning in and out of that game and i was just like what how is this happening like they just every time it looked like they were going to pull away they just somehow like have some inexplicable turnover and memphis would go and go and make it a game again yeah yeah and they were just tight they weren't passing the ball like yeah oh if they lose yeah exactly i think if they, they lose, lose that the game they, i think they need to lose i think they like if they make it, so much of what has happened this season will kind of be vindicated. Even though being like the, I'm sure they had loftier goals than being the eight seed, but they needed to make the playoffs. And if they do, then they're going to ca- kind of keep going down this path, and it's going to lead nowhere good, nowhere near the potential that they have. And you know, I think it'd be really good if they lost and just reevaluated some things. And, and Tibbs will Tibbs will say, well, we we made the playoffs, and we were only three games out of the three seed. Yeah, but then, but then I then I remember that they've been out of the playoffs for twelve years running, and <laughs> then right. I'm like, yeah, I mean, mm. yes, but at a certain point, like you just like you run out of water. I just water. want to play the long game with this team. You know, <laughs> the long game would stop being played the second they signed Taj Gibson, Jeff T, and hired Tom Thibodeau. So we're kind of. I feel like the long game is already out. Well, sadly, oh, I mean, it's a kind of shorter long game. Like the hey, let's see if Tom Thibodeau should be coaching this team long game. Let's put the three stars in a room together and make like <laughs> lock them in there until they figure out how to be friends. Can, can I ask a lot, like a last question to to both of you? Is there an undercurrent in the NBA writer world of rooting for Tibbs to fail? Because I, I I feel like there is, and I'm not saying well, I root for him to succeed. I'm just. It's what do you, why do you think I, so? I'm curious about this. 
Why do I think? I think, yeah, that, I'm I think curious writers where this comes are, from. are player-friendly people in general, and I think that Tibbs is a coach who usually wears down the effectiveness of players that people like. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. I think there might be some of that, but I think it's largely because Minnesota is so frustrating to watch, and people wanted them to be good so badly, and like you can kind of pull back the strands and see why they're frustrating and you know you look at the fact that he's not getting to them defensively and offensively they they produce but they're not they're not running their optimal offense and it's very just they're a very grating team to watch because of these little decisions that just keep holding them back so I think maybe that's getting taken out on Tibbs because we wanted Minnesota to be better than they are Hmm. I think that's true. I also think that they are Tibbs represents sort of function over form in a way Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of really diehard NBA fans don't romanticize the league like I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're very it's very much like a science experiment plugging holes. This isn't fun. This isn't art. This is just like me going into my lab and like kind of doing what I need to do to get to point A to point B and not worrying about how I do it. You know, to make a soccer analogy, he's very, um, you know, Sam Allardyce, Mourinho-esque, I would say. Maybe not Mourinho, but that's sort of like, it doesn't matter how we get to yeah. however many points in the table. We just get there, and that's the that's the beauty of it. And I think a lot of, I mean, at least I'm speaking for myself, and I think I'm speaking for a lot of people. It's like, no, that's not why we watch basketball. Like, we don't watch basketball to... You don't watch the Premier League to watch Everton get 45 points, you know? Right. Like, you watch that league to, for the teams that, for them to shoot for getting way more points, and then if they fall short, at least they tried. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a little bit of that going on with Minnesota, and it, it's compounded because, like Sirat said, the players themselves are such top prospects and have yeah. so much of a future that it almost feels like Even Wiggins, Mike? Hmm? Even Wiggins, Mike? Mm, let's not talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to do a psychological profile today. We'll save that for a different podcast. <laughs> uh, so I, I think you're. Right. I mean, I don't know if that's like rooting for him to fail, but I mean, I, I do think it's like they're not very fun. To put it simply, you know, they're not fun to Wolves fans. They're not fun to neutrals. They just kind of are. And you know, if they were the 90s era Cleveland Cavaliers and had Terrell Brandon and a bunch of no-names, that's fine. But they have two number one picks and a superstar, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's sort of where you want something that's more of a multiplying effect. Did you pick Terrell Brandon because he was also on, like, the last Minnesota team to make the playoffs? I was just thinking of, like, the most boring coach of the 90s, and I couldn't stop thinking about that Mike Fratello <laughs> Cavs team. Yeah, that's definitely up there. There's no doubt. I don't know. Or, or, I mean, it's very much But like, that was when they had that, that cool, nice blue, that, that, that smooth oh, the funky blue. funky logos. The funky logos in the blue, and Bobby Sura. Oh, man, the 90s logos. Yeah, we don't have to get to it. Was that where the Raptors had some real oh, yeah. uh, doozies that, that decade, too. Great uniforms. That's one word for them. <laughs> they had beautiful, beautiful. They had uniforms that anyone on Nickelodeon would have been proud to uh, to wrap. I mean, when you're wearing these retro clothes, ironically, that sort of yeah. tells it says it all. Yeah, yeah. Be, uh, we can be on the lookout for uh, all of the 1990s retro uniforms at uh, upcoming music festivals around the country. Yeah, or you can uh, go to SVNation.com's Jersey Week from the summer. That's true. And there we live it there. Um, but nice. All right. Well, nice work. This was a lot of fun. We 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 have uh, Mike got a Sam Allardyce. Uh, he's the Everton manager reference in there. I know that 
um, everyone caught that. Is uh, that like a fair analogy? It's not a fair analogy. It'd be like, but it's it's the closest thing I think of because Everton is like seen as a actually interesting progressive team, and he's made them ra- remarkably dull and sure. functional, sure. right? Sure. I okay. just don't think that that as many people get the EPL parallels to the NBA as you. As you I don't think Sierra. Sierra, did you understand any of that? I'm just I'm staring at straight ahead of you right now. <laughs> Same. It's kind of like when you guys yeah. were talking about Austin Matthews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with an O, Austin with an O. Um, all right, well, cool. Well, I, I, you know, like this is always interesting for me to be able to kind of pick the brain uh, of the people who write the articles that I read all the time here. So, Sierra, I really appreciate like. You joining this, um, number one. Number two, putting up with our soccer uh, analogies. Number three, talking about wrestling. Uh, these are all things that we did not necessarily mm-hmm. put on your plate when you decided that it was okay to, to join this podcast. So, <laughs> uh, so definitely appreciate your time here. And um, is there anything you're working on currently for SB or, or even just in, for your other uh, platforms that you publish on that you want to uh, promote here? Uh, right now we're going to have, we're going to do an Indiana thing at some, for some point this week, so, uh, probably mm-hmm. just a playoff preview type of, type of thing. And other than that, I mean, I think, uh, I think it's probably just going to be time to lock down on the Raptors stuff. That's seems like the, the direction it's going. The playoffs are about to start. I'm here. They are the one seed. It seems like the logical decision. So, oh, uh, just, just watch out for Raptors stuff and mostly at SB Nation, I think. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Cool. Yeah. God, after they lose game one again. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. To Mike's, I'm to, so thrilled. To Mike's Wizards. We'll, uh, well, when the series is going into game seven, we'll have you come back and we'll do a little, uh, little <laughs> oh, game God. seven preview. Mike, I'm sure really we don't. I, I swear, like, just of end this calm. Wizards season. This season has been so exhausting. Well, I hope the Raptors do that for you, Mike. I would love it if they, if they could swap places with, like, I don't know, Detroit clearly wants to make the playoffs. Like, let them play in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Too late for that. Let's Alas. not. Let's yeah. not get the dead cat bounce again to make <laughs> like, you feel better. Do they really want to make the playoffs? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, mm. I don't know. We're really, we're really acting like it. This <laughs> <laughs> is very true. Um, alas, okay, cool. Well, uh, I think we got to we got to run here. Um, this was a lot of fun. Mike, any closing? You can close it out, buddy. No, I mean, this is great. The playoffs are coming. I think we're going to aim to do at least one more show before the playoffs begin, and then we're back to normal. Um, so enjoy that. We have a lot of great stuff coming on SBNation.com this week, including Sierra on the Indiana Pacers, but also Tim on Darryl, Q&A with Daryl Morey. Uh, we had a big story from Tyler Tynes just now about the Sacramento protests. He yep. was there for a number of days, uh, very thought-provoking. Uh we got stuff from Tom. We've got stuff from Paul. We got a drawing board coming uh, later this week, video wise, cool. which is gonna I think is gonna really help make people think, not team specific. Cool. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and yeah, I mean that's mostly. I mean we have a lot of other stuff as well. There's gonna be more James Harden things, so Rockets fans can get excited about that. Nice. Uh, and then the playoffs begin, and we'll obviously be on top of that. Excellent. Alrighty. Well, until next time, everybody. This is the Limited Upside Podcast.